The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. A reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I have my welcome to Steve's. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to see you here this morning. I look forward to meeting you if I have not done so already. We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, as you just heard, and look forward to that study together. I do want to call us to prayer as I pray before the preaching of God's Word, to pray for a family in our church, a member family, uh, Keisha Wright and her three young children who have tragically lost their dad and her husband, Christopher Wright, uh, tragically had his life taken from him on Thursday night. And that family needs our prayers, and so let us pray. We do come before you, Lord. We are family. We call you Father. And we have family members this morning that are in need of your comfort and your peace, of your provision for them. We pray for Acacia, for Declan, for Abbott, for Priya. We pray for all the family that grieves today the loss of Christopher, and we, we thank you uh, for the hope we have in Jesus, that in Christ those who die are made alive. We thank you even that just this last week, on last Sunday, Christopher was right here with us. Help us to know the gravity of these times we live in. We don't know when our time is up, so help us listen this morning with ears that respond with faith. So come, Lord, and comfort our family, our church family, comfort the rights, and come now and speak to our hearts. We need to have our faith strengthened, or some of us even in this room need our faith to begin. So come, Lord, and speak. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In May of 1886, a pharmacist named Dr. John Pemberton carried a jug of Coca-Cola syrup to Jacob's Pharmacy in downtown Atlanta. It was mixed with carbonated water and it was sold for five cents a glass. That day they sold nine glasses. Humble beginnings. 137 years ago, the Coca-Cola company has now evolved to have more than 500 brands and they've gone from selling nine drinks that first day to selling 1.9 billion drinks a day. The second most widely understood term in the world besides okay is Coca-Cola. 
Could Dr. Pemberton possibly have imagined that those nine glasses in that little pharmacy in Atlanta would become 1.9 billion drinks in 200 plus countries around the world? I don't think so. Could the disciples imagine as they walked with Jesus that what he spoke of would become something that would take over the world? The disciples and those listening to Jesus in this text, they struggle to imagine how what seems so obscure, Jesus could advance these lofty claims in the face of a mighty Roman empire and such strong religious opposition. If we're honest, don't you sometimes wonder the same thing? In the face of the powers of this world, with the rapid growth of secularism, the threat of Islam, is there hope? Is there hope to find encouragement in this world where our king is overlooked, he's derided, he's rejected the kingdom? How could it possibly be something so great and glorious and guaranteed? And yet Jesus is here to encourage us this morning as he encourages his disciples. They're in the synagogue, remember? Verse 18 says, therefore, meaning Jesus is continuing to speak in the synagogue where he has just healed the crippled woman. And after calling them hypocrites and calling out their hypocrisy very clearly, he now turns to these two parables. Perhaps the disciples and those in that synagogue were wondering, what could this one event in one synagogue where one woman was helped, what could this possibly mean for the whole world? After all, the crowds were running away when he heard these hard words of Jesus. The religious leaders were standing up. Kids and poor were being welcomed by Jesus while the elite were being confronted. How could this become something really that grand? And Jesus gives two parables to say it is. The first parable, we see that the kingdom of God is marked by small beginnings, but an irrepressible end. The parable you heard in verse 18 What is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds in the air made nest in its branches. The mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, the tiniest of seeds that would grow to become a sizable bush eight to 12 feet tall with birds finding refuge. That's what he says the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God has small beginnings, but an irrepressible end with worldwide growth. The contrast of the parable is the massive end from its minute beginning. That's that's the picture. Don't forget the Jewish expectation. The Jewish expectation was a quick establishment of a powerful, comprehensive, present kingdom with a decisive victory blow that shattered the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed. Think about the kingdom as a mustard seed. This child, Jesus, was born in Bethlehem in a cave. His birth was announced 
two shepherds, the despicable. Shepherds, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. They weren't trustworthy. And so this little child begins in an obscure place like Bethlehem, announced to shepherds who were despised, and he has an unimpressive appearance, Isaiah tells us. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Mustard seed beginnings. You see, as Jesus speaks to his disciples, it wasn't the final kingdom greatness that was being debated, but this rather small start this turbulent moment where people were opposed to Jesus. Do you remember John the Baptist? Before he would lose his head and his life, he was so perplexed by the beginnings of this thing that he went and said, hey, will somebody before I lose my life for him ask him, are you it? Are you the Messiah? And then this Messiah, obscurely born in Bethlehem, would go to a criminal's death on a tree on a cross. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised. He was not esteemed. Mustard seed. Mustard seed birth. Mustard seed responses to him. Mustard seed death on a cross, a criminal. Jesus, like the mustard seed, planted in the ground. And from that would come grand ends, resurrection. But even in his resurrection, it's announced to the women, which in that moment were culturally devalued. They were overlooked, but not by Jesus. Jesus knows the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. It will be planted. It will have beginnings that you may not think it will become much of anything. And we continue to see that. What is our message according to Paul? It's the foolishness of the cross. Who does God use? Jars of clay, broken earthen vessels, unimpressive people. The king's method is perpetually little. It's always seed-sized. That's the divine design. That's what he says here. It's like a grain of mustard seed. And yet it is irrepressible with worldwide growth. From the cross comes life. 30 AD, Jesus crucified on a Roman cross. And that moment and that resurrection began to spread and take over the world. So that when you read Acts, though it ends with Paul in chains, the gospel is not chained. The gospel is spreading like it says here, the birds of the air making its nest in its branches. That was actually known in Ezekiel 17 as an image, a picture in Ezekiel of the nations, the birds of the the world, the nations finding rest under the refuge and protection of the kingdom of God. And so yes, from Bethlehem. Yes, from the roads of Jerusalem. Yes, from a cross. Yes, mustard seed to a grand end of resurrection and worldwide growth. That is the truth. How did the, how did the gospel spread throughout the world? Mustard seed, blood of martyrs. You remember the 
The blood of the martyrs is the what? The seed of the church. How, how could a kingdom actually become something so grand through blood, shed by Christ, shed by martyrs, advancing through those who are little, unimpressive seed sides, broken? Know this, every one of us, the kingdom of God may seem insignificant to the world. It may seem ineffectual, it may seem unimpressive, it may seem inauspicious, but because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ planted in the ground like a seed who rose and now is with his, in his spirit, the kingdom of God is irrepressible, unstoppable, and immeasurable in its global growth. Be encouraged. Be encouraged as you live in this world at this time. But then the second parable is in verses 20 through 21. He says, and he said again, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Mustard seed and leaven. Those two things need to be at the forefront of our minds as we live continuing the rule and the reign of Jesus in this world, mustard seed and leaven. He says it's like a woman, she takes leaven, she mixes it, those three measures were known, that would have been 50 pounds of flour. Would have been enough bread to feed 100 people. But the woman must wait. She must wait for the leaven to do its work. Little by little. The leaven would have an influence over the entire mass which would grow until nothing was unaffected by the leaven. That's the parable. Jesus tells this because the kingdom of God is to permeate every aspect of our lives through small faithful deposits. The kingdom of God is marked by small deposits but with a permeating effect. Small faithful deposits of leaven. My friend Alan Levi defines the kingdom of God like this. It is to do small things well over a long period of time in the same place in the name of Jesus. And that's how the kingdom goes forward. Small things well in the same place over a long period of time in the name of Jesus. Isn't that a nice vision. Maybe some of you are familiar with the book, Every Moment Holy, two volumes. They've really sought to show the kingdom of God like leaven, like mustard seed. They've written prayers, like prayer for when you're changing your child's diaper. That that's significant. Prayer for when you're baking bread prayer in all the small things because it's in the faithfulness in those small things like leaven that the kingdom of God permeates it's not merely the large things it's the small faithful deposits our part in kingdom business however lowly or unseen 
is not insignificant. If you're a child of the king, faithfully serving unto him in the smallest of places, in the smallest of ways, the kingdom of God is like leaven. The kingdom of the world, however, runs on power and prestige and might. Kingdom of God is about the little, the unseen, the hidden that leads to a largeness of ends, a grand kingdom expansion. And the kingdom of God is to permeate every aspect of our lives. So there, and and the kingdom of God is to permeate the entire world through us. So it's to permeate us and the world. Every aspect of your life must be touched by the kingdom of God. So what this parable does is it rejects compartmentalization. You can't say like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I'm gonna only relegate him to certain parts of my life. He's useful for relationships, but I'm gonna ignore him in my work. He's useful for politics, but I'll ignore him in sexuality. He's useful for appearances, but I'll ignore him in reality. All things, no, all things must be touched by the leaven of the king in his kingdom. Every aspect of your life, just like that, that massive dough, the leaven eventually permeates so that nothing's untouched. The kingdom of God is to permeate every aspect of our lives. We need Christ in us if we are going to rise and change all things, all things Christ preeminent. Vocation, leisure, family, money, sexuality, education, fitness, medicine, psychology, parenting, politics, law, marriage, all things permeating influence of Christ and his kingdom. In thinking and feeling and doing this little yeast, this message I preach now, this leaven to come and find its place in you and touch it all. What part of your life are you intentionally, intentionally trying to leave unaffected by Christ? What part of your life is it? Do you think, don't touch that, Christ? The kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Just as it must permeate us, just as we must reject compartmentalization, we also must reject isolation. We must not isolate from the world. If the leaven doesn't come into the dough, how could the dough be changed? We must be in the world, permeating effect of the kingdom with small deposits like leaven, the kindness of our words, the graciousness of our service, the love we express, the care in this world so that the kingdom of God might have that permeating effect on the world. Salt is no good if it remains in the shaker. Leaven must get in the dough 
So no compartmentalization. The leaven of the kingdom of God must touch every aspect of our lives. No isolation. Let us mix in with the world not being tainted by the world, but that the world might have the permeating effect of the kingdom of God, of its virtues and its values and of its king. Be encouraged. Do you feel small? Do you feel like sometimes your life is seemingly insignificant? You're a child of the king. Mustard seed beginnings, grand ends. No compartmentalization, no isolation. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. You know, there are a handful of hinge moments in world history. Obviously, June 6, 1944, D-Day is one of those. On that day hung the balance of power in World War II, really maybe the fate of the world. Do you know behind D-Day was something obscure? Unnoticeable as a seed, hidden like yeast. A man who never commanded a single troop, a man who never wore a uniform, had great influence that day. Andrew Jackson Higgins. Higgins was the man responsible for designing and building the LCVP, the small landing boats, with the flat bottoms and the high sides that brought the troops onto the beaches on D-Day. If Higgins hadn't had the foresight to build them and design them, former President Dwight Eisenhower said the whole strategy of the war would have been different. What's even more amazing, he did it without any request from the military. Actually, they opposed his work. The Navy wished he wouldn't have done it. The Navy was only interested in large vessels, like destroyers and battleships. They had no interest in the smaller vessel LCVP that became known as the Higgins Boat. Eisenhower told writer Stephen Ambrose, Higgins is the man who won the war for us. It's not one the larger vessel. It wasn't the big destroyer. It was this hidden Higgins building little boats that led to a grand end. Isn't that a picture of the kingdom? The kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. It's like that little syrup Dr. Pemberton took to a pharmacy. It's like Andrew Higgins building small boats, small deposits, permeating effect, irrepressible end through mustard seed planting. This is the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Help us believe, O Lord. Help us actually believe what the kingdom of God really is like. Help us to embrace fully your methods, not only you and your your message, absolutely, but also your methods. You're a God that uses mustard seed and leaven. You take the small, the obscure, the hidden, and you lead it to grand ends. So help us to be faithful. 
Would you permeate every aspect of our lives here as your people, please, Lord? And we ask that as we go into the world, we would have a permeating effect because we carry the message of the gospel and the king. And we pray this in your name. Amen.